0: Welcome to How Do We Get Here, a podcast on education and design with wellness in mind. I'm Mark Anthony, and on today's episode, we'll speak to Asma Arslan, professor in user experience design, as we discuss mindfulness and its role in human-centered design. Hi, Asma. How are you?
1: Hi, Mark. Thank you for having me here. I'm really good. Thank you.
0: Um, Before we get started with our conversation today, do you want to uh, let our listeners know a little bit about yourself and what you do?
1: I'm a yoga teacher for the past 14 years. I'm also a people-centered designer who started off in visual design and then came into experience design. And I just I feel like I've been doing so many things that are centered around people for so many years. I did advertising for a little while, but now I'm a user experience design professor. I teach at the Bachelors of Design program at Humber. Um, and I work with students really closely and that's what I feel like is my passion just to work with people and students and learners and sort of um, guide them, hold their hand and guide them along the way to be superstars.
0: Awesome. The reason why I wanted to have this sort of talk with you today is, you know, I always wondered like how might we utilize uh, meditation or mindfulness to give students opportunities to connect with themselves their needs, their wants, their insecurities, so that they might connect with others and create or develop more deeper human-centered design products for their users. As someone who is grounded in the practice of meditation and obviously puts a focus on mindfulness in their daily routine, is there a connection between mindfulness and connecting oneself in order to bring forth creativity and possibly connecting to others in ways that are truly empathetic?
1: Okay. So that's a really great question. I'm going to just remember, let's just start with, remember the word empathy okay. and creativity. Okay. And these two words are the building blocks around people-centered design. Some people call it user-centered design, but I feel like users are somewhat like consumers. And um, that is what people-centered design is breaking away from. To consider the person or the people that you're designing for as, one big hole like feeling the empathy for them walking in their shoes not selling them something right so Mm -hmm. i'm going to call this people-centered design from now on and uh, empathy and creativity are two major building blocks of people-centered design however there is a there's another building block for creativity and that is ideas So if you don't have ideas, your creativity sort of slows down, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And most reasons, I'm going to get into a little geekish sort of environment for a second. Bear with me. Okay. So the most recent psychological, the most recent psychological research has shown that cognition and emotion cannot be separated. In fact, emotions drive cognition. So our emotional states have a large influence on how we feel, how we think, how we uh, perform, how we talk, how we act, but most importantly our ability to be creative. Right? So I'm going to I'm going to talk about this meta-analysis of 66 studies on creativity and affect, which is mood, that happened in 2008 by Bass Um, This was sort of a groundbreaking research about how mood can affect your creativity or how your emotions can affect your creativity. Another really great research by Alice Eisen in 1999 uh, shows some great insights. Number one, uh, positive emotions increase the number of ideas available for association. So the building blocks of creativity come from positive emotions. Positive emotions increase the breadth of ideas that are relevant to a problem to connect the problem and the ideas right the third one is positive emotions increase cognitive flexibility making it more likely that ideas will connect if you're in a happy content grounded emotional state right um And all of this is pre-logical form of thinking. There is no logic involved. There's so much more research that says that creative thinking and ideas come pre-verbally. They come through intuition. They come through emotions. They come through bodily feelings, right? And then comes in logic and linguistics. So how are we going to get ourselves into the optimal emotional environment or the internal environment we need to nurture ideas, to nurture empathy, to nurture creativity, which are all building blocks of people-centered design.
0: That sort of kind of answered my next question, which was like, what role does emotions play in our level of creativity, right? And right. Um, and I sort of sometimes ask myself when teaching um, sort of the foundations of UX to some of my bachelor's students is, is it possible for a designer who may have some sort of inner struggle, conflict, demonstrate empathy for others through their work? If so, how, how can they separate their own personal conflict to then be empathetic for others? Or if not, what can we do or what might we do in the classroom to actually help them um, solve those inner struggles or conflicts so that they can produce better people-centered sort of design solutions.
1: Right, right. So this question sort of really opens up another conversation, which is about how to take care of your own mental health, right? Yeah. Um, your first question is that, is it possible for a designer to show empathy when they're going through an internal struggle? Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, absolutely possible. I feel like we've all done it and, and, and we keep doing it in different points during our lives. Right. Um, and usually designers are empaths. They're usually more creative. They're new. I'm not being stereotypical, but I have over the last 15 years, I have seen designers that are more sensitive They're. I call them HSPs, highly sensitive people. Um, And they have so much empathy within them that it's not difficult for them to walk in somebody's shoes to figure out a problem that somebody might be facing to solve. However, this leads to emotional exhaustion. And this also leads to a poorer mental state. The more emotionally exhausted, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup. Yeah. Right. So the more that I feel like you take care of your uh, internal environment, you nurture your mental state, you have spiritual um, grounding, the better you would be at no matter what you do for people, even if you're a doctor for that matter. So I feel like no matter what you do, as long as you're involved with people, you need to center yourself first.
0: So then how might we optimize those internal environments within ourselves, or how might we optimize our internal environment to improve our mental health or our mental state?
1: Um, It's honestly very easy and really basic and anyone can do it. Everybody has their own way of optimizing their mental environment or internal environment. Um, It also depends on what you love doing and what kind of a person you are. Are you an introvert? Are you an extrovert? Um, Do you like experiences? Do you like... Are you spiritual? Are you not spiritual? These are some questions that you can ask yourself. However, there's a formula that usually works for most people. um, And that is mindfulness. Just slowing down, being in the present moment, giving in, letting go, accepting whatever it, it is, and then sort of finding the courage and the strength to solve a problem. Right. And I call it my daily cleansing practice where I just slow down, declutter, let go of thoughts that are not serving my process. Let go of people that are not serving my process at a certain point. You know, maybe we can later uh, let go of let go of news like the covid news has not served any of us for a really long time. Oh, yeah. Right. So let go of things that are not serving our mental state and then. Be in the present moment, you know? And once you master that, I feel like once you master your daily cleansing or meditation or mindfulness practice, and it's also like a muscle, you become strong enough, you become unstoppable. What is the difference between novices and innovation gurus, you know, or people that have done design and they've done it really well?
0: What is the difference? It's focus. It's focus, yeah.
1: It's, meti- it's focus, being in the present moment, you know, mm-hmm. taking your work like it's something you love doing, like a companion rather than work. Yeah. You know, being involved, being drenched in it, enjoying it, like in a way finding it to be your life's purpose, whether it's, for me, my life's purpose is people-centeredness. Service. And now there is something called service design. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I feel like the more you sort of let go of everything that bothers you and stay centered and be in the present moment, the better your internal environment. And some more things that you can work on is having a daily ritual, having a daily ritualistic meditation practice or a spiritual practice, finding your long term objectives, finding your focus. You know, being in a social or an external environment where you feel safe. Yeah. You know, um, being welcoming to people around you because you get what you give. Yeah. You know, being open to the idea of collaboration instead of competition. Mm -hmm. Because that's a question that will keep coming up in a designer's life or anybody's life, in fact, professionally.
0: Those points that you just brought up, it reminds me of... You know, if if you're competing with others, you compete with yourself. I guess um, maybe there's a conflict of ego. Versus. Absolutely,
1: Mark. I mean, that's such a great point you just brought up. I feel like it's true when Eckhart Tolle talks about letting go of the ego.
0: You know. Yeah, when you have that ego mindset, you're stuck on. Yeah. The me. The I need, the more, me. I need oh to Oh my more. god,
1: you nailed it. Right?
0: And when you, <laughs> you nailed it. Yeah, and when yeah. you're saying you're doing things for others and and people, you're doing it for the love.
1: For the love. Right. Absolutely. And for me, and I feel like for most um people-centered designers, I feel like this is this is a very uh, sacred profession for me. Like I am doing m- my two cents that I can in my lifespan of maximum 80 years to make a difference in other people's lives rather than my own life and being stuck in my own problems. Now, the first thing that I also tell people when they get into meditation and mindfulness is stop taking yourself seriously. Yeah. You know, relax. Everything passes.
0: That's what I tell my students Don't take yourself so seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Don't take yourself too seriously. They put so much pressure on themselves for the work. Or the grade or whatever is associated with what comes with the work. And and they quickly forget the love they have for it. The love is what, may, well, I would hope, the love for whatever it is that you choose at this point in time when you reach a post-secondary is you chose something that you are interested in. Yeah. But somehow along the way, it becomes work. And with work yeah. is associated the stress and the anxiety. Um, and then it's it services the ego. It's what is my grade? How much did I get? What did yeah. I get? How many likes or applause did I get?
1: Absolutely. And even if the applause doesn't come, the question is, yeah. how much did you learn from it? How will you do it next time? You know? We've all... I feel like we've become very applause oriented.
0: You're very what, sorry?
1: We've become very um, approval oriented.
0: Uh, Right? Yeah.
1: And that doesn't work for designers, in my opinion. You have to be. So that's another thing that I always sort of press upon when I'm talking about mental health is to know that you are enough in your own skin, You don't need to please anybody. You don't need to prove yourself to anybody. Only then you can come out as the real strong creative that resides within you. Otherwise, you'll be too worried about how many likes you got and what people are saying about you.
0: Oh, I totally agree with that. Like, I mean, that's why I say like it's the ego mindset because some people go through life trying to prove other people wrong and that might be one of the conflicts they struggle with right um yeah. because they were maybe told that they weren't enough yeah or that they yeah. aren't good enough or don't have enough and now they try to accumulate the likes the approvals and then it becomes a a situation mm-hmm. of um how how much can i can i show or show off Rather than how much did I contribute?
1: Beautiful, right. very well said. Yeah.
0: So I mean, like, what do you think are are maybe some factors that affect students and designers in your practice that you've come across with this sort that of, affect
1: like, the internal environment? Yeah.
0: Like, have well, you what this I've seen over the ish- years, I'll tell yeah.
1: you. Um, I've seen a lot of time pressure that bothers, the, um, designers and their process. I see the peer uh, pressure.
0: So time.
1: Yeah. And what, what we just talked about, what others think of me and my work, mm-hmm. then the imposter syndrome mark, the imposter syndrome is so legit. And I've seen the best of designers going through it when they think that they're not enough, when they think, what did they deserve to get an A? What did they, what, did they deserve to do in this process to um, get an award? I've seen it. And sometimes the best work comes within 20 minutes. It's okay. It's because you spent 15 years behind these 20 minutes to understand the process, right? So that imposter syndrome is something that I've seen over the years. And I feel like that is a major hindrance factor in the design process. Another thing that I've seen is the lack of creative confidence. Some people just come around and say, I'm not an artist. I'm not creative. I don't think I can do this. I can't draw draw to save my life. You know, things like that. I'm not creative at all. Um, And that is because they lack creative confidence. There's a lot of research on creative confidence at the Stanford Design School that I've been looking into. Um, And basically, the crux is that everybody is born creative. Everybody is a designer. Of course. Right? You just need to understand the process and be confident and know you can do this. And when you have a bigger goal and a bigger objective in front of you, like my objective is to solve a problem of um, a senior's home on my street. You know, if that is your objective to really feel the empathy for those seniors and solve their problem, you'll get the confidence. Right. And 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 there's one more thing that I want to talk about, Mark, that I've seen has really affected most of my best designers over the years is anxiety. You know, unfortunately, it's so real.
0: You know what? I want to say one more thing that you mentioned about leaving things behind, because I thought that was a a good point, like leaving things in the past. Um, Right. I do tell students the same thing that you know you have to learn sometimes to let go of things. The thing that gives me solace is sometimes realizing that time continues. And that's why it's called the past, right? Beautiful. And yeah. the present and the future. So they have categories for time. And the past has been let go. The present is what you're holding on to and the future is within reach. So if you move through life keeping the past and present in each hand, you won't have another to embrace the future and make it become your present. Wow. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. And that is the basis for mindfulness, being in the present.
0: What do you think are some mindfulness um, or meditation practices that maybe students or designers can use on a daily basis?
1: Okay, so there's lots of different practices. Again, it depends on what works for who. Uh, But there's some really basic things that you can do even sitting on the bus or walking through the hallway. You know, things like square breathing where you just breathe in. And as you breathe, you're, you're drawing one line of a square and you have to end up with a square in the end. So you breathe in, draw a line, hold the breath, draw a line, breathe out, draw a line, and then breathe in again, draw a line, and complete a square. It's a really, really great technique to sort of calm down the anxiety, deal with stage fright, you know, and all of those things. Uh, So just square breathe. Most important, have daily meditation or spiritual rituals. There was a reason why our elders prayed. You know, they believed that something else, there's a supreme power out there that can handle their worries for them. It lifts an elephant load of burden off your shoulders. You know, have a daily ritual of meditation, mindfulness, prayers, whatever you believe in, ground yourself. Um, There's another thing that I did a lot over the summers is just sit on the grass barefooted feel the energy of the earth and ground yourself be still just observe that is the crux of mindfulness so just that, be still
0: that is the major thing and i've been i i i learned that recently to be still be still you're always taught to be on the go but now as i get older i realize now like i will not regret checking off something off my to do list what I would regret is connecting more with people, my community, myself, my mm-hmm. children, my mm-hmm. family. So, when I look at that, everything is people oriented.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Because yeah. that's basically what you leave behind. Right. Yeah. So, when we design yeah. things for people, that is what you leave behind.
1: Yeah. And I love how you brought up that point about being around loved ones. That works like magic for internal environment. Just be around people who love you, even if it's your pet. Just be around safe, loving others. It's great for mental health and getting into that designer creative mindset. Um, And also gratitude, Mark. I wanted to talk about gratitude meditation. If you can just in the morning while having breakfast or whatever, whenever you wake up, count your blessings, whatever you get reminded of, even if it's 10 blessings. Every morning, just go in a state of stillness. Calm your mind down and think about the things you're grateful for. It could be the air you're breathing. It could be the eyesight that you're blessed with. It could be the two feet you're walking on. Your pet, your family, your home, your roof, there is so much to be grateful for. And I feel like the minute you get into the grateful mindset or the gratitude meditation, everything, the anxiety, the negativity, everything starts falling into place. I cannot stress enough on mindfulness and gratitude.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you brought that up because today I did meditation for the first time.
1: Oh, you did? How was it, Mark?
0: Okay, you might think I sound kind of crazy when I tell you this, but you uh, okay? So I'm listening to this podcast and for some reason in the podcast they have a guest for the first time and the mm-hmm. guest does a 10 minute um meditation on gratitude. So I decide to do mm. this 10-minute meditation to end my workout.
1: And so, for the past,
0: I think, couple months, I had like this kink in my neck, and I'm always trying to like stretch Uh it out before I go running, Uh whatever. So, anyways, I do this meditation, and you know, Uh we're going through the breathing patterns and so on. Uh At one point, Uh asthma. Don't think I'm crazy, but
1: Uh I I I believe you.
0: I was like, okay, my mind is sort of going. I'm thinking of thoughts. It's telling me focus on three things I'm grateful for. All of a sudden I wake up. Yeah. But I'm sleeping. Does yeah, that make yeah. Sense? So yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I wake up but I notice that my body's sort of like slumped over. Yeah. And I'm actually like my body's rested but my mind wakes up.
1: Yeah. And you know, that is the state that you were in a state of hypnosis at that time. So you were in direct contact with your subconscious mind, whatever you would tell yourself at that time, that is a really beautiful state, by the way, whatever you tell yourself during that time gets ingrained in your subconscious mind. So be mindful next time. And you know, I'm going to just wrap up with just these two really important things that I want anyone coming to school would just I feel like that they would benefit from this Um, and even going to work this would be helpful in a work environment as a designer as a person as a soul just keep remembering when you're working with other people that you're all from one soul at the end of the day the idea of union and unity it'll just help you get over so much clutter that comes with social anxiety You know, we're all from one soul. We're working in collaboration. We're working in co-designing environments. We're working together because we complement each other. There's no concept of comparison or competition. We're all one, you know? And there's another thing that I, that's the first thing I usually tell students when they're struggling, that whatever you need is already within you. You know, you are a masterpiece. So just remember that and look within to fix the internal environment. And that will fix your external environment for sure. And the design process and everything will follow through.
0: Those are perfect words to end off with, Asma. So if listeners want to connect with you or see some of your work that you're doing, where can they maybe find you online?
1: Um, I'm usually really active on my little design blog on um, Instagram. It's called Design Asma. Uh, My name spelling is A-S-M-A. So design Asma on Instagram. You can add me on LinkedIn. I'll be happy to chat with you whenever.
0: Asma, thank you again. I really enjoyed You're welcome. This,
1: yeah. this was a great talk, Mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for having me here.
0: You're welcome. For show notes and links mentioned in this podcast, visit HowDoWeGetHerePodcast.com to receive updates and new episode releases, subscribe to the podcast and follow me on Instagram and Twitter at EdTechXD for all things education and design with wellness in mind. Thanks so much for listening.